Our uh, passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and then we'll look over in chapter 3 as well for a few verses. So we are well into our Ephesians series, and uh, last week uh, we looked at what's going to become our confession of faith in the next month in February, but just this beautiful, what's been called the eulogy of Paul, where he describes how God has, from the beginning and the foundation of time, chosen his people, his church. And not only that, he's adopted us as sons and daughters, and he's placed his Holy Spirit into our very souls, guaranteeing our inheritance. And then this week, we'll see how Paul transitions to how all of that truth is to change us and move us and grow us in our knowledge of God. Uh, if you look at Ephesians at six chapters, the first three really process mostly what is theologically true. And then the final three take that reality and apply it to how we are to be shaped by it. And it culminates in a very famous chapter six, the armor of God. And one thing I'm noticing as I, I look at the letter, uh, it, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we, we preach verse by verse, passage by passage. But this letter received was read in total initially, right? And that, if you received a letter from someone overseas that you haven't talked to in months and you love them and cherish them and you get the letter, you're not going to open it and read the first two lines and then fold it up for a week and then read the next two sentences. And you're going to read the whole thing. And that's why I've been encouraging us as a body to be reading Ephesians weekly, privately. And then each week we are going to go through portion by portion, but we are also feeling the freedom to look at the entirety. And today I just want us to know that as we look at these verses I've already mentioned we're about to read together, part of the backdrop I'll, I'll refer to is this idea of the armor of God and the fact that we take these truths and our job as believers is to apply them. Uh, I would love to hire a reporter to stand outside the, the door and question you as you walk out, how are you going to apply what you heard this morning? I would love to watch that video. Now, have I asked the question of myself? So that's our challenge. Are we listening to Paul, to the Spirit, and going, how can we apply these things to our lives? So I hope with that in mind, uh, you'll attune uh, to these words, attend to these words from Paul in Ephesians. We'll start at 15, chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of, our, of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now, this next few verses are, some would say, a continuation of this prayer. Uh, clearly, you'll notice these verses are a continuation of these thoughts. So uh, I wanted to read these this morning as well. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. This is the word of our Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this truth that is just so glorious. We know that we can just hope to get a little bit more insight into this truth. Lord, we long to be changed by your gospel. And yet, so often, as we've already confessed, the world woos us and, and drift, causes us to drift away to other philosophies. I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning, you would call your saints to just attend to these words. Your spirit would do what Paul's even praying here for us, that we would be enlightened, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would see the immeasurable greatness of your power this morning. Father, I pray that you make your gospel clear. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, yesterday, watching the NFL, I don't usually watch the NFL football. The only reason I turned it on was uh, I think I, like many of us, have this desire to see people hit each other. That's not the exact reason. But it is nice to tune into a sport that I don't really care about the outcome. I kind of like the Green Bay Packers. Kind of like the 49ers, it was snowing, and it's kind of nice to watch like a pro sport with like weather, because usually they're in a dome. And uh, during the time of just watching that, uh, my son Coleman came in, I didn't tell him I'd talk to him about him, and we were just processing for a moment, and we both were just, he actually brought up the idea of like gladiators. And I think a lot of us like to pride ourselves that we're beyond that phase of human history, that we don't have gladiators anymore. We would never, and yet we all tune into things like football or other types of battles. And if you're not into the physical battles, often we are into the verbal battles of our culture. There's something in us that wants to wage war. Yes? And Paul knows that. And it's, it's part of the fallen nature. But what Paul teaches and why we bring up the armor of God is that we as Christians must recognize we are in an eternal battle. I think it's very easy to watch these, to engage in the worldly battles we sort of like, even if we do so sheepishly, and then we pretend Christianity is all peace and butterflies and roses, and yet Paul's like, no, that's why I wanted to bring up the armor of God. He's like, you are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 say, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul doesn't say, do you wrestle? He's saying, with whom do you think you're wrestling? Do you think your battles with your boss, your spouse, your roommate, 
the other team, the competitor? Or do you realize that we have this spiritual warfare going on? And if we believe that, then we come back to the beginning of Ephesians, to our passage this morning, and we lean in. When I grew up, I watched the, the TV show Chips. Remember the two motorcycle, Poncho and not Lefty, but the other guy. But it always started with, is it John? That's so boring. They could have done better. It's like Poncho and John. Oh, it's Ponch. What's his last name? See, I love having old people with me. And every episode began, young people, it's, it's uh, Jim's dad. Play this guy. So maybe if you care about the, uh, the office. It started with the sergeant sitting with all of the highway patrol bikers and, and basically giving them, like, here's what's going to happen today. And it just felt like there was this urgency. They weren't just sitting there going, well said, sir. That's so beautiful. Like, it was kind of like, what's happening? There's, there's a problem or there's this kind of stuff in the traffic pattern or watch out for this highway, the speed chase. And I want us to just go, that's what sermons are. Like, that's what daily quiet times are. We come to Scripture not to go, ah, oh, that was lovely. But to go, okay, this is our battle. Are we ready? Are you ready for the battle that you are engaged in? Are we ready to take these truths that Paul is just pouring forth with glorious speech and please say, not turning them into pillows, but getting them deep into our hearts to engage this world. And there's three things that we're going to see uh, in this passage as we learn to engage the battle. One is we need the knowledge of God, two, the knowledge of God's power, and then finally the knowledge of God's power through our partnership with him, okay? So we're going to try to unpack these verses. I'm going to spend most of my time in chapter one, but um, we're going to see these three things unfold. So the first thing Paul wants is he's just eulogized and explained all the past and all the future for the church and for you and I, talking about being chosen and adopted and having an inheritance, but now he's talking about the present tense. And he says, for this reason, I'm praying for you. I'm paraphrasing now. And in verse 17, here's what his prayer is, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Now, we can't unpack everything in these verses. I'm going to do it as quickly as, as well as I can, but but what Paul is saying is we need wisdom. Um, on the front of your worship guide, there's a quote by a man named Edmund Clowney. He used to be the, uh, the president at Westminster Seminary. He's passed away, uh, written very, a lot of great books. In one of his books, he says this, The gospel concept of wisdom must join knowledge and practice, faith and life. And now what he's doing is he's describing Westminster Seminary. He says, the academic life at Westminster is not the Greek ideal of a detached pursuit of knowledge for its own sake. But rather, at the beginning of his institutes, John Calvin said, by the knowledge of God, I intend not merely a notion that there is such a being of God, but an acquaintance with whatever we ought to know concerning him, con conducing to his glory and our benefit. For we cannot with propriety say there is any knowledge of God where there is no religion or piety. That's the end of the Calvin quote. And Edmund Clowney continues. Every professor and student must gain the secret 
of theological learning. The teacher of theology must be a spiritual leader. The repetition of unappropriated truth is to the peril of the soul of the teacher and the student alike. If you come in to church or go before the scripture or a Bible study and take these truths in and just nod and say, ah, yes, that's how it is. And then exit whatever room you're in and it goes out the other ear or out the other mind. That is to your peril. Are we appropriating these truths? And Paul is praying, later we'll see he's on his knees, that this Ephesian church and that you and I would have wisdom to put to practice truth. In fact, later when he gets to the armor of God, the, the belt is the belt of truth. Now, I've never put on armor, but I would imagine if I had all my armor on and my pants fell down, I would not be a good warrior. Like, that would be really embarrassing. It's like a Monty Python skit. So, not trying to be too humorous, but, the, you know, when you have a good belt and you're cinched, you're ready. And Paul wants us not only to say and acquiesce that these words are truth, but he's praying that we would have a spirit of wisdom to understand these truths. And wisdom just is the ever-increasing application of knowledge. You're taking what you know to be true, and it's being applied in your life as you're living it. If you look at Ephesians, or James 1, he's very clear. Pray for wisdom. What is he saying? He's saying take what you know to be true, and when you face a trial where that truth doesn't seem to apply, because it's so hard, pray that God would help you to see how that truth still applies to this situation. And he asks for a spirit of wisdom. Now, theologians debate over whether that's our spirit or whether that's the Holy Spirit. I think Romans 8 puts that to rest, where Paul says the spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a both and. We as human beings are given souls. We are made eternal. We are made in the image of God. We have spirits. And when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit has come into our soul who testifies that we are children of God. And the process of sanctification has begun by which the spirit of wisdom begins to open our eyes. Uh, one illustration I just thought of was, uh, not just now, meaning I shouldn't have said that, earlier when I was preparing my sermon. Those TV shows where, um, and I've, I've talked about this one before, where these artisans are like standing there and some impossible task that would have taken me seven years and I would have got a D. They get this idea like, we need you to build a shed and you have like, it's like MacGyverville. And then all of a sudden these people are on the, on the camera like, when I heard the assignment, like, I realized I've got my glue gun and I've got this and I could, and then they go to work. And they're applying all this knowledge to this task. And you're just watching it unfold before you. That's really what I think the Christian's life ought to look like. Are we taking these truths? And as we face each day, the tasks that are coming at us, we're saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, that I have these truths that you've already given me. And I can see them play out in my life and my relationships in this difficulty, in this crazy worldview that's coming at me. Whatever the arena, Paul is saying, bring this knowledge, bring this truth to bear. And then he adds this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So he's continuing and building on the spirit of wisdom, 
the revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, continuing having the eyes. These are long Greek sentences. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Heart means what is it you love? Um, where, where are you stirred? What are you moved toward? So the question is, we have to ask as we move into this discussion is this. What gets your heart? What stirs you? That's really a foundational question we all have to ask. <clears throat> this will fall on deaf ears if we live a life of double-mindedness where we have our Christian stuff and we have our real stuff, right? We have this stuff we really love and we really try to do and really want. And then over here we have this sort of Christian thing and we hope that sort of they'll blend eventually. What Paul is calling for is that our hearts are stirred by the truths of the gospel. Um, I don't have a lot of, like, it's so like, I want to just make this make sense to you. But first I needed to make sense to me. And so let me just tell you, I'll be sitting reading the Bible and I'll grab my phone. Anyone have that problem? The second I get a little bit unsure, you grab your phone. Now, I was telling, I think, Emily this, but why do we call it a phone, by the way? It's not our phone. For every hour I spend on that thing, I'm probably on the phone like for four seconds. It's like my, it's my connection to some other world of people who are looking at me and telling me I'm a good person or something like that. Like, it's my device by which I find meaning. How do you use your smart, this is not con to condemn you, by the way. Use your phones, use your smartphones carefully. But let us please understand, we have a heart that's longing to be seen, to be affirmed. Some of you like to post stuff, that's fine. Others, like me, I'm more like, oh, I don't post anything. I just want to look and maybe comment every now and then. But when I stop and pay attention to what I'm doing, what I'm doing is in my restlessness, rather than my eyes of my heart going, God, you are glorious, I'm turning to this nearest device I have, which is my iPhone. You can use whatever brand you choose. And I open it up, and it becomes like my drug of choice for the moment. Now, why do I use that as an illustration? It's an illustration. I want you to begin to ask yourself, what am I drawn to? Where am I going for knowledge? What are the eyes of my heart being enlightened by? What Paul is urging us is that we would know what is the hope to which you've been called and that that would stir us. And that leads us to our second thought. Not only the knowledge, but the knowledge of what? The question you have to ask is what are you knowing? What are you leaning into? What is it you think you're getting when you, the eyes of your hearts are opened? And the answer is power. Uh, in verse 19, he just flows seamlessly when he says, and what, and, he's continuing the thought, and the hope you are called, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. There are four Greek words for power in that sentence, packed in. The first is uh, the word power, where we get the word dynamite, and it's uh, dunamis, and it means capability. It's sort of the potential. This was written long before dynamite was invented, so don't think explosion, but think energy, think the potential. The second word, working, it's toward the end of the sentence, so I'll read it again. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working 
That's the word energon, which is where we get energy. So it's not only power, capability, but, but power like energy moving. And the final two words, great and might, strength. And what Paul is doing is he's using every Greek word he can come up with to say, God is powerful. Do you know that God is powerful? Now, how do we make that make sense? Well, every few years I get to go to cowboy driving school. With Grayson, we skipped out totally, and I'm very sorry for that. Coleman, we went. I get to sit for 30 minutes and watch these horrific videos that remind me that I'm an awful driver as well. Yesterday, my 15-year-old Meredith got to go and begin her cow. She'll go again today. For you Sabbatarians, I apologize and assure you that it's just this one day only. Um, but she, we sit down and we're all trying to figure out where we are. And before I know it, there's a video of like these cars driving up to a red light and stopping. And so the camera is like the second in line and there's three cars. And the guy doing the talking was trying to just say, hey, remember I teach your students when it turns green, count to two. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. I'm going before it turns green. I'm looking at the other light, like, <laughs> it's yellow, how fast? Uh, I will tell you, I think I've told this story. One time I'm pulling out Chick-fil-A, and I maybe have a slight bit of ADD, but uh, a wasp was flying in front of my window. <laughs> and I did that, and the light was green, and I was like, oh, and then a semi, whoom, and I thought, oh, my gosh. I would have just been, thank you, wasp. Uh, but this video does show not that happening, unfortunately. It shows them going and then another semi coming through. And I look back and just think, my daughter just grew up. Like, it's hard to have a child have to see that. We're in a battle. This world can end any moment for you and for me. And the power of God is the power of the resurrection. Look at verse 20. A lot of people have said the prayer has ended, and now Paul's moving into a different section. But the better commentators say, no, this is the prayer continuing. That he worked, the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Next week, we'll look at a passage that says, and you are also raised and seated with him in the heavenly places right now. When we came to Christ, the semi had come and gone, and we're still alive. We've been raised with Jesus. And we have a power source that is far different. And so even though we all know we need to be careful in the car, and COVID could certainly take us out in any number of things, the battle has been waged, and we have won. And there is tremendous peace, Christian, if we can buy into that and believe that we are now raised with Christ, and we are living on the other side of the resurrection. There is power in that. So I just want to bring it home with this. How, does, how do we get that in us? How do we get that truth inside of us? And I think the third and final point is partnership. Paul is partnering with the Father and with us. In verse 16, it's been clear. I've already read it. But he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, unless you think that just is a sweet way of just saying, and be with the Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. 
he goes on to continue what he prays for. And it's this entire passage. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, and I want you to insert your name and this congregation, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power that you have. That is the power that I have. That's the power we have because his spirit dwells in us. So what do we do? Remember the armor of God. I love this, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Like our hearts are enlightened in Christ. We are righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ. And we are to long for God's purity. But one of my favorite, and again, you can't have a favorite piece of the armor, but is the shield. You know what it is? It's the shield of faith. And I love the description. It's protecting you from the fiery darts of the enemy. Do you know what a fiery dart looks like? I don't. I, I like love them. I'm like, hit me again. You're, you're worthless. You should be ashamed of yourself. You do not measure up. These are fiery darts coming at you daily. We love them. We're like, we're like acupuncture with fiery darts just walking around this world flaming because we think that's the norm. And the gospel is like, no, 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 no. You have the power to lift up the shield of faith. What does that even mean? I'm naming these truths as the enemy is trying to convince me that I am unlovable, that I am nothing, that I am, I am scummed. Do those thoughts ever cross your mind? Do you even notice them? So what do you pray? Well, when we pray and partner with our Lord, the first thing is we notice the, the sting. I'm going to encourage you. This is our application. You're walking out of the door. The microphone guy walks up or gal and says, what are you going to do? You're going to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start paying attention to those darts because I collect them and I put them in my lunchbox and I take them to work and I because I'm so convinced of their truth and the gospel says stop it here's your truth you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love he predestined you and he called you and you are a son or a daughter he's put his spirit on you he wants you to understand this increasing wisdom is he's saying to you moment by moment Recognize those darts are coming at you. Um, I don't know if this is a perfect illustration, but there were too many that came out of the cowboy driving school. So here's the next one. Video number two. Uh, all these students are being interviewed. And um, one at a time they're saying, yeah, I text and drive. I mean, I look at my Snapchat. I, and they're kind of confessing it sheepishly. And, of course, I, as an adult, I'm like, who does that? That was my attempt at a joke. We all struggle with inattentiveness during driving. But what's fascinating is in each interview, each student was honest. I do this. They're like college students, high school students. And um, they felt you could tell bad about it. And then um, after about the sixth or seventh quick interview, the, a, a, a person walks into the room who has been um, affected by an accident, obviously. 
her left side has been paralyzed. She comes in and sits down. She tells her story. And her story is, she says, I was leaving my college graduation, and my family and I were in the van. We were going to go get food, and someone who was texting and driving hits us. And I lost my mother and my father. I lost my ability to walk. I couldn't speak, and I've been in rehab. And it's awful. And then each of those students is just in tears and weeping over that. And you know what I was thinking? This is not going to work. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a video like that. Okay, this crowd seems to have their hands up more than most. Hands up if you've seen a video like that. Raise your hand if you stop. No, keep them up. Now, lower your hand if you stopped using social media when you drive forever. Come on, I don't believe you. So the liar is on the front row. Did I not, was it not the, so you're, I'm raising my hand because I've seen the video and let's say I've also done it in my life. Now I'm lowering my hand if after the video I never did it again. I never once again looked at my phone. Okay. Why, the point is this. We aren't rational beings. Like we don't, we know we do bad things. And we see examples of the pollution of sin all the time, and we get that rationally. But the problem is we can't change ourselves. We need a partnership. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord Jesus to come in, and he says, together with all the saints, we need each other. And so what happens is we come into moments like these, and for a, a, the window opens up briefly, and we see the truth that we can cause harm with this person or that the gospel is true. And the question is, what happens after this moment? What happens in an hour? What happens in a week? We need the body of Christ. We need prayer because we can't change ourselves. The Holy Spirit has to do it. So my question is this. Are we out there trying to live these autonomous lives? Here's the, we've watched the video and we're just going to go out and change. Or are we willing to live lives where we come together with mutual repentance and faith? Like, guys, I'm struggling. Guys, I need help. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm wrestling. My faith. I've read how many articles this week about famous Christian artists who are losing their faith. Like, we are in a war. And we need each other more than we've ever needed each other before. Or at least as much, right? And so the gospel says, okay... Here are all these truths, but for some amazingly profound reason, Paul is praying this. In chapter 3, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In other words, he prayed to God that these truths would sink into our hearts this very morning. And you know what God can do? And God has done. He's answered those prayers. How do you think, I didn't want to use the word prayer for that point because I think that word prayer has lost so much meaning because I think it creates guilt for some of you, for others it creates proudness. It is the right word, but the point is, are we in a partnership with our Heavenly Father on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our adoption in the Holy Spirit? Do we, do we move into conversations with him by ourselves and with others, 
about real life issues. Saying, Lord Jesus, I'm reading these words and they look incredibly profound, but as I go about my day, I am prone to forget I need you to help me. I need you to show me what these mean. Bring people alongside me in my life to help me know how this will play out in my marriage, in my business, in my life. I want to close with an illustration that I made up this morning that's probably going to fail as bad as my last one with the hand raising. So I apologize for the hand raising. Thanks for helping me over there, Isaac. Um, and I, I really want to be careful because sometimes when you illustrate, you're supposed to talk about one particular thing that not everybody will relate to and then sort of apply it. So I'm going to just tell a, a made-up thing and see how you feel. Imagine you're in a marriage, and I don't think this is true of anybody in this room, a marriage where you are struggling, maybe even just in that fight that's lasted for years. And you wake up, and you're about to go into a space like the kitchen, and you know the other person's in there. And your body is just, I have to get milk. I have to have cereal. I have a cup of coffee. So I have to go, but I have to be in that presence of that person. Can you imagine that? Anyone? No, it shows hands. Um, what do you, like, there you're in, for some reason, if that's true for you, at that moment, the fiery darts of the enemy have landed. And we're seeing ourselves through the manufactured lens we've put on that person. Imagine if before walking into that room, you were sucked into some portal where you're standing in the throne of heaven. All of a sudden, the triune God, through the person of Jesus, because that's the part, of, that's the person of God we see, looks at you in the most loving way, with eyes more lovingly than a mother with her nursing baby, and loving you, like you, and talking to you, and telling you these truths. And imagine there's like a, wall, a window, and you can see now that partner, but not as you saw that partner, but as they really are, beautiful and glorious. What Lewis would say, you would be tempted to worship if we could see someone as they are seen by God, a saint. Imagine that truth and the change in your life, and then imagine immediately you're back down and about to walk into that kitchen. Would your next five minutes be the same? Would they look a little different? That is the power of the gospel. When the Lord brings these truths, transforming our hearts, seeing correctly the truth of the gospel, the eyes of our hearts are open. We will see people differently and move toward them in love. We will move toward people in repentance and saying, I am so sorry. And we will weep more and we will care more and we will love more. That is the power of the gospel. And I pray for each of us, that this morning we may have a, a little bit more of a taste of what that could look like in our real lives every day. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've rescued us. But Lord, thank you that you didn't just leave us as orphans when you left, but you've sent your spirit of adoption into our hearts. And Lord, though we long for eternity in heaven, you are clear in this letter through the Apostle Paul, that you want your heaven to break into our very lives, our marriages, our parenting, our vocations, our studies. Every element of our lives, Lord, you long to see redeemed. 
and Lord, to bring just so much peace and beauty. Father, I pray for my own forgiveness and those that would agree with me that often we, we doubt and we are afraid and so we, we just go it alone. I pray you would continually, through your spirit, press us to partner with you, to partner with your saints, to believe the resurrection power for our present lives. And Lord, that we would connect the dots of our lives to the true knowledge that is you. For your praise and glory. Amen.